0: Well, good morning, great to be gathered together. For those of you I haven't yet met, my name is Bijan, pastor for our church, and really excited to be looking at Matthew 6 today. If you have a Bible, open it up to Matthew chapter 6. It'll also be on the screen just behind me. But while you're opening up your Bibles to Matthew, I wanna mention tomorrow starts prayer week for us as a church, and I just wanna reiterate, if you're able to join with us, either in the mornings via Zoom, 8 to 8.30, Or on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday night, somewhere in the city, gathering together with others to pray for London, to pray for our church and to other churches as we seek to serve this city. This will be a really important time. Also, it's part of our vision. We've said that God was calling us as a church into a season of focused prayer, saying we've undergone a leadership transition, we've undergone a pandemic, and we're figuring out what life looks like now on the other side of that. We need God's guidance for us as a church family. And so this week is about us pressing into God's presence in prayer to cry out to him for his leading. So really hope you can join us this week. Okay, with all that said, Matthew chapter six, let me read to us verse 19 through 24, and then I'll pray and we'll get right to work in our sermon. Matthew chapter six and verse 19. and that is God's word. Let's pray. Our Father, now with this passage open in front of us, we ask for you to open our ears, our eyes, our hearts, to see and to understand what your spirit wants to say to us, your church, this morning. Give us not only insight, but help us to be transformed as we encounter not just information, but Lord, help us to encounter Jesus. We ask all this in his name and for his glory. Amen. Now, We've been here at Reality Church London in a series looking at the Sermon on the Mount. This is Matthew chapter 5 through 7. This is Jesus's most famous set of teaching. I would actually suggest it's the most famous set of teaching by any historical figure of any moment in history. Jesus is giving the ethics, the values of his kingdom. And we've been saying each week that the Sermon on the Mount is about discipleship. Jesus is describing what life looks like for the followers of Jesus. And so what we've been asking each week is what does it look like to follow Jesus in London today? If you're a Christian, this helps shape your outlook and your values. If you're here and you're not a Christian, this is an incredibly important sermon series for you because you're getting from the mouth of Jesus himself straight from the source, a description of what it looks like to be a Christian. And so today, here's the question that our sermon asks. What is your treasure? What is most important to you? What do you live for? What's the animating driving force of your life? This sermon gets to the priorities of your heart. We can't talk about discipleship without without talking about treasure. And so let's take a look at this passage and we'll use the following outline to guide us in our sermon today. First, I wanna show you that everyone treasures something. Everyone treasures something. Second, we'll see why you should put your treasure in heaven. And then last, how you can do that. So everyone treasures something, why it's a really good idea to put your treasure in heaven and how you can put your treasure in heaven. So first, Let me show you that everyone treasures something. Regardless of whether or not you identify as a Christian, regardless of whether or not you even identify as spiritual, the fact is that every person treasures something. To be human is to be a treasuring creature. Even Jesus acknowledges this. In the passage, he says, you can either have treasure on earth or in heaven, but you're going to have treasure somewhere. To be human is to be a treasuring creature. And so we ask, well, what is treasure? And if you look at verse 24, Jesus gives us a clue. He says, no one can serve two masters. that word serve is really key. It's in some ways the key to unlocking what Jesus is getting at here about treasure. Because that word serve means to give complete allegiance to, to have unconditional loyalty. It's to make something or someone your master. And Jesus says, whatever you serve, whatever has your undying loyalty, whatever is the driving force of your life, that's your treasure. And so the simple answer to our question today, what is it that you treasure? It's the thing that's most important to you. It's the thing that drives everything else in your life. It's the reason you get up in the morning. We could say it this way, Your treasure in life is the thing that you look to to give you significance and security. That's your treasure. What do you look to to give you a sense of worth, that you are okay, that you matter, and security, that you'll be safe in your future, that tomorrow is going to be okay? What is it that you're looking to for that? Jesus would say, that's your treasure. And the fact is, so many people treasure so many different things. Jesus gives us one example here in our passage. Look, verse 24 at the end, you cannot serve or treasure both God and money. Jesus is revealing that actually for a lot of people, one of the things that we treasure is money. Now, question, is money bad? No, money's really important. It's a really important part of life. It can be a resource for tremendous good. But what happens when for you, Money is not just money. What if money becomes a treasure? Well, then money becomes a barometer of your self-worth. You look at the money you have or the money you want and you think when I finally get to this amount or when I finally have that much in the bank, then I know that I'll be okay. Then I know that I'll be successful. Then I'll know that I matter. Some people look to money for a sense of security. There's this great verse in the book of Proverbs, this ancient book of wisdom that says, the wealth of the rich is their fortified city. Think about it. In ancient times, how did you protect a city? How did you make your city secure? Well, you built a wall. And what the proverb is saying is if you're rich, the temptation for you is to look at your money as the source of security in your life. And the temptation therefore is to say, the higher my wall, the safer I'll be. I just need a little bit more and then I'll be okay. Some of you may have seen the film, All the Money in the World. It's about the 20th century oil tycoon, J. Paul Getty and his immense fortune. But as the film goes on, what you realize is that J. Paul Getty's son has been, uh, grandson has been kidnapped and is held for ransom. Now, J. Paul Getty is the richest man on earth at the time, far and away has more money than anyone else around him. But the kidnappers demand a ransom and the amount that they're requesting for the release of his grandson is tiny compared to this man's fortune. But when the kidnappers request comes before Getty, he refuses to pay it. He will not give even a cent to save his grandson. And one of the people who works for Getty eventually says, look, just pay the ransom already, get your grandson back. I mean, you have so much money and Getty won't budge. And there's a spot in the film, by the way, a true story where the conversation unfolds like this. The man who works for Getty says, Mr. Getty, with all due respect, nobody has ever been richer than you are at this moment. And Getty says, but I have no money to spare. And Chase says, the man who works for him, well, what would it take? I mean, what would it take for you to feel secure? And Getty replies, more. What would it take for you to feel secure? More. You see, for him, money was not just money. It was treasure. And he couldn't give even a cent of it away because he looked to it for his security and his significance. You can't serve God in money. Now you say, well... (laughs) Bijan, keep preaching about money, but that doesn't apply to me. I don't have a problem with money. That's not where my treasure is. Well, you don't get off the hook so easy. The fact is everyone treasures something. And if it's not money, it's something else. Think of it this way. Some of you here today say, I don't really care about the money I make. I don't really care about how much I earn. What matters to me is my career. What matters to me is the work I do, what I'm passionate about. The way in which I bring excellence and I bring beauty into the world through my work. Is work good? Is working hard and working excellently important? Absolutely. But what happens when work is not just work? What happens when work becomes your treasure? What happens when it becomes the thing that you look to for your significance in life and to bring security? A few years ago, I read an article written by an author who recognized that writing well had become for him the most important thing in the world. He lived to write well. It became his God. And listen to what he says in an article that was basically a confession. He says, when good writing was my only goal, I made the quality of my work the measure of my worth. I made the quality of my work the measure of my worth. For that reason, I wasn't even able to read my own writing well. I could never tell if something I'd written was good or bad because I needed it to be good in order to feel safe. Do you see what he's saying? It's so true, such a confession. That when your treasure is your productivity, your achievement, what you produce in your career and your work, The quality of that work becomes the measure of your worth. I am what I achieve. And it's endless and it's exhausting. One other example before we move on, I'm telling you everyone treasures something. For some, it's money. For some, it's career and work. For others, it is relationships. I mean, romantic ones or friendship ones or even familial ones. But what you do is you put your whole self-worth in your relationships with other people. You say, yes, I believe in God. I go to church. I love Jesus. I know he loves me. But functionally, what gives you a sense of purpose in life is your relationships to others. This might be a relationship that you have or even a relationship that you want in the future. And what really drives you in life is this sense, I'm nothing until someone loves me. And your treasure is that person. Now, is it bad to have relationships? Of course not. But what happens when a relationship becomes your treasure? Well, then the quality of your self-worth is directly connected to the health of that relationship. And that's a recipe for disaster. You see, Jesus is saying, everyone treasures something. Anything can be a treasure. And so we ask ourselves this morning, where is your treasure? What are you looking to for significance? and for security. Maybe, maybe part of the reason why your spiritual life has been so frustrating recently is because you've been trying to do what Jesus says you can't do. You've been trying to serve two masters. You've said, I'll have God on Sundays and Wednesday or Thursday night when my CG meets and I'll do my other master all the other times during the week. Jesus says, that's not how discipleship works. Where's your treasure? Everyone treasures something, but now let's shift gears and ask the question, well, why should we put our treasure in heaven? That is to say, Jesus is saying, disciples, my followers, are those who recognize that the most important thing in the world is who God is and what he thinks about you. That's treasure in heaven. Who is God and what does he say about me? Jesus would say, if you're my disciple, to put treasure in heaven means that becomes your reason for living, who God is and what he's saying about you. Now, why is it? That's an easy sentence to say, but Jesus is saying that needs to become the driving force of your life. Why? Why should your treasure be in heaven? Three reasons, so key. The first is treasures on earth can't actually last. Look with me again at verse 19 of our passage. Jesus says, don't put for yourselves treasure on earth. Why? Because you can lose it. He says, moths and vermin can destroy and thieves break in and steal. Remember, Jesus is talking to an ancient audience. And here's what he's basically saying. If you had things, if you were wealthy, those weren't dollars in a bank, that was stuff in your home. And so Jesus says, you're so vulnerable. If you're hoarding stuff and building up your treasure on earth, Someone could break into your home and take it all. And you say, yeah, yeah. So I'm going to bury it to keep it safe. No one will know where it is. And Jesus says, yeah, but the moths and the critters are going to get it. It's Jesus giving an illustration. Stuff on earth can't last. It's vulnerable. You can lose it. It can be taken away. And as you know, it can't ultimately satisfy anyway. There's a constant ache in your heart that no matter how achieving you've been, how successful you are, how many of your dreams have come true, you still feel a little blah. That's the moths and the vermin and the thieves of this world breaking in and taking away that joy that you're seeking. Some of you who are football fans will have read or heard or seen that yesterday there was a player for the Denmark national team. This is again, Euros 2020 happening this year. And during the match, one of the star players, 29 years old, Christian Erickson, as he was running on the pitch, collapsed, and he passed out. And instantly, what was a joyful football match, instantly became a medical zone, as the medical team ran onto the field, and are literally performing CPR, trying to keep this young man alive. He's eventually rushed to the hospital, and he stabilizes, but people were shaken, a very vivid thing to see on national television. And one author writing about that event last night says this, we won't be able to shake the horror of Denmark's Christian Erikson collapsing on the field during his match. Or the perspective of seeing paramedics fighting to save the life of this 29 year old father, a fit athlete in the prime of his career, all of it, sports, career, money, he had everything, but it crumbles to dust when we're faced with what really matters, life. And I want to tell the author, yeah, that's the thing that matters most. But guess what? Even life can be lost. You see, there's so much that's fragile. There's so much that's vulnerable. There's so much that can be taken away in an instant, Jesus says. The treasure needs to go in heaven. Why? Because it can last there. It's safe there. Treasures on earth cannot last. And we saw that yesterday. We see that every day. Second reason why to put your treasure in heaven, not only because it'll last, but also and importantly, because when your treasure is in heaven, then your heart can rest. Your heart can rest. If your treasure is on things of this earth, money, relationships, career, fill in the blank then your heart will only rest if you feel perfectly secure in that treasure. But we've already seen it's vulnerable, it's shakable, it can be lost. But look at what Jesus says in verse 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's as if he's saying, I want you to put your hearts in heaven. Your heart follows your treasure, so put treasure in heaven, so your heart will follow. Why? Because finally it can rest if your hearts are in heaven. Now, next week, the whole sermon is going to be about anxiety. But today, do you see what Jesus is saying? This is the beginning of the cure for anxiety. When I say cure, I don't mean it's a one-stop shop. I mean, it's an ongoing process. But Jesus is saying the reason why you're anxious, the reason why you keep finding your life spinning and exhausting is because your hearts aren't in heaven. That is to say the most important thing in your life isn't God and what he thinks about you but something else. And when that's true of course you're going to be anxious. Of course you're going to find yourself tired and frustrated. But Jesus says when your heart is in heaven when the most important thing in your life is God then you finally begin to rest. You finally begin to get a sense of peace. Let me just unpack this for a few moments. There's a spot in the book of Hebrews where the author says, Abraham in the Old Testament, this picture of faith, this picture of a person who trusts God. The author says that Abraham looked forward to a city that had foundations, whose builder and maker was God. He was looking forward to the kingdom, to heaven. And then later the author says, because here we have no permanent city. We have no enduring city. We're seeking one that is to come. Here's what the author of Hebrews was saying. Here's what Jesus is getting at. If you look for everything in life to satisfy you on earth or in London or in this place, you're only and eventually going to be let down. But once you actually recognize that the things you most desperately need are with God and his kingdom, then actually you're able to begin really enjoying life on this earth. Let me say it more bluntly. Do you know who enjoys London the most? It's the people who recognize that London can't fully satisfy them. That only heaven can. And when you realize that, when you actually put your treasure in heaven, what happens? Then you start being able to enjoy life a lot more. When money is no longer your treasure, you know what it can be? Just money. (laughs) So that you can use it to buy things you need or want. Or you can give some of it away to help people in need. When money isn't your treasure, then you get to just enjoy it as money. When relationships aren't the thing you look to to give you a sense of meaning in life, then you know what they become? Friendships, spouses, children that you get to enjoy for their own sake rather than crushing people with the burden of being for you what only God can be. Only if your treasure is in heaven, do you actually begin to get to enjoy earth because your heart can rest. Why put your treasure in heaven? Because stuff on earth can't last. Only then your hearts are going to rest. And finally, Jesus says, if your treasure is in heaven, then you can actually become a generous person. Now, I don't have a ton of time to explain this, but if you have your passages still open, verses 22 and 23, These are a little confusing, I'll admit, but here's what Jesus is saying in effect. I'll read it and then quickly explain. Jesus says, the eye of the lamp is the body. And if your eyes are healthy, your body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your body will be full of darkness. Now people have read that and they say, what does that mean? What's interesting is that in the Greek, which is the language that this was originally written down in, the words healthy and unhealthy, could also be translated generous and stingy or generous and greedy and here's what i think jesus is saying if your outlook in life is generosity then your whole body will be full your whole life will be full of light but if your outlook in life is greed if it's stinginess then your whole life is filled with darkness Connected to what comes before and after. Here's what I think Jesus is saying. When your treasure is in heaven, then you look out into this world and you ask the question, what can I give away? Because my money or my stuff or my time or my relationships, they're not how I get a sense of self-worth. So I can give it away. I can share with people who are in need. But if my outlook in life is, I am what I have. Or I am what I produce then you're gonna be really stingy with your money or with your time or with your relationships. Only people whose treasure in heaven are actually people who can be totally generous because you see everything you have as a way to serve God and love others. Don't we want more generosity? I mean, don't we love being around generous people? Don't we wanna be generous people? Jesus says the way for that is by putting your treasure in heaven. If your ultimate significance from, comes from God, then you can give stuff away with radical generosity. So why to put your treasure in heaven? Stuff here can't last. Your heart will finally rest, and we become generous. Some of you know the name Elizabeth Elliot. She was a missionary and author and Christian teacher for many years. And when she was young and newly married, she and her husband moved to the jungles of Ecuador. And the reason they went there was to help people know Jesus, to share the gospel. And while there, Elizabeth Elliot's husband died, actually because of their attempt to share their faith. And they had a young daughter at the time. And so here's a woman in her late 20s. Her husband has just been killed. She's got a young child, all because they're just trying to share what they have with others, to, to help other people know Jesus and experience good news. And I've read that story and I've thought about it so many times and I ask the question, why would she have done that? Why would she have risked everything? Why would she be so generous with her life? And the answer is because of something that she and her husband told each other all the time. And here it is. This quote has rocked my world ever since I first read it. They used to say to each other, a person is no fool who gives what they cannot keep to gain what they cannot lose. A person is no fool who gives what they cannot keep to gain what they cannot lose. And so we can give away of our stuff, of our time, we can share in our relationships, we could even give our own lives. Because those are things that can be taken anyway. But what can't be lost is God and his promises and his values, that's the treasure in heaven person is no fool who gives what they can't keep to gain something they can never lose. And so here's the final question. How do you do it? How do you store up treasure in heaven? How is it that God and his values become the most important thing in your life? And here's the answer. The way in which you'll become a person that puts treasure in heaven is if and only if you see that you were the treasure that Jesus left heaven for. The way to put treasure in heaven is by seeing that you were the treasure that Jesus left heaven for. Read to you a verse that comes a little bit later in the gospel of Matthew. Jesus is teaching. This is chapter 13. And Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure that's been hidden in a field. And when a man found it, in his joy, he went and he sold all that he had and he bought the field. Jesus is giving a parable, a picture. He says, look, any person in the right mind, if you're walking along and you see in a field a buried treasure, this treasure is of immense value. Jesus is saying anyone would sell, do anything they can to, to buy the field so they get the treasure. They would give up everything. And you say, yeah, well, that makes sense. But do you know what jesus is doing he's describing himself because jesus actually left heaven he left the kingdom he left perfect friendship and joy with the father and the spirit and he came all the way to earth he came to this field and he gave up everything to get his treasure but what was his treasure it was you literally for jesus you were the treasure that led him to the cross. And think about it. In order to get you what did Jesus have to lose? On one hand, he lost a sense of significance. He who was God from before all time, now in human form mocked and spit at and beaten. The humiliation and the shame. On the cross we could say Jesus became in a sense insignificant. A joke. Dying like a criminal. And on that same cross, Jesus also lost a sense of security. He lost a sense of protection. Do you know that throughout his whole life, when Jesus ever addressed God, he always called him my father, personal, intimate relationship. No one would protect you like a dad, or at least should. So Jesus throughout his whole life saying, my father, my father, except on the cross, It's the only time that Jesus doesn't refer to God as Father. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The walls came down, if you would, and he was vulnerable. What's happening on the cross? Jesus left the treasure of heaven. He came to this earth and he gave up everything for you. He lost his significance. He lost his security so that you could have it forever. On the cross, he takes all of your shame so you could get all of his perfection. When you see that, when that truth sinks down deep into the very center of your soul, then Jesus becomes your treasure. Then you say, that's who I live for. That's why I live. That has become the thing that captivates me and is most beautiful to me. When you see Jesus giving himself up for you, Jesus becomes the treasure that you can give everything up for. And so we now come to our time of response and we ask God help us to treasure Jesus, to see him as ultimately beautiful and to get our sense of significance and security from who he is and what he's done. Let's pray. Our God, we confess that we've spent so much of our time and so much of our energy storing up treasure on earth and we're not satisfied. We thank you that in your grace, you have not abandoned us, you have not forsaken us, but you've given us the greatest of all treasure in Jesus. Oh Lord, help us to see Jesus right now. Help us to experience him in this moment. We pray, we ask in faith that Jesus would become our greatest treasure. Not only for our own sakes, but so that through us, then you can bless and love this city. That we can be those who, because our treasure is in heaven, give ourselves away for the good of others. Lord, help us as individuals, help us as a church to treasure Jesus and to live for him in this world. We pray for this now in Jesus' name. Amen.